You are listening to Dove Valley Deep Divers with Eric Trickle and Lance Sanderson. Ball comes out of the hands of Newton. It's on the ground, picked up by T.J. Ward at the four-yard line. Vaughn Miller did it again. On Overtime Media. All right, looks like we're live. We're going to let this stream kind of come to life a little bit and uh, let it breathe you know the drill guys green check marks across all platforms mile high hello everybody in broncos country and welcome into another episode of the dove valley deep divers podcast i'm your host lance sanderson and joining me as always is my good friend and colleague he is your denver broncos insider and mile high huddle senior nfl draft analyst the one and only eric trickle eric what's going on man uh, how was your week this week what did anything interesting happen it's it's been a long week man um but super excited going fishing on Sunday. My boss yeah. is taking me out. We're going to go dip netting. I know I talked about that a little bit last week. My in-laws are in town. My brother-in-law my mo- and both my mother-in-laws are. So just super excited going to be spending some time with them over the next couple of days um, before they leave on Sunday. And uh, might go down to the beach either tomorrow or something and dip net down there with them or something. And just hanging out and spending time with family and everything while they're down here. Yeah, awesome. That sounds like a lot of fun, man. I, I really want to go up there and do that. I know we talked about that last <laughs> week, but still, that sounds like so much fun. Uh, for for me, crazy, crazy, hectic week. Uh, just long days, very hot. It's been hotter than the blazes of HE double, double hockey sticks up here, man. I mean, it was 98 degrees today. It was something about like that yesterday as well. Just hot and exhausting days. It's. It, I'm glad the week's over. Looking forward to this weekend. Going to try to get some baby stuff taken care of. Um, we are what's today the 17th so we are 12 days away from having a new broncos fan so i'm very excited about that but we've got to get some clothes and stuff taken care of and get his uh get his crib and everything set up and stuff like that so it's going to be a lot of fun this weekend um do some family stuff and and hang out with everybody so i'm really excited for that but anyways guys this week we have a very special guest you guys know him you love him he is coach luke polglaze we'll get him on here in just a few minutes but before we get started on that there was an interesting report from benjamin albright the other day on broncos country tonight regarding what the Broncos starting receivers are going to be. And it goes very contrarian to what uh, we kind of believe here at the Dove Valley Deep Divers and really across all of Broncos country. What he said was that the Broncos starting receivers this year are going to be Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy in the slot, and Tim Patrick on the outside. So this is kind of an interesting conversation. Eric, what's your take on that? I don't like it. Like <laughs> I really don't. Um, I think Tim Patrick as is a quality depth piece. But I think he's a little bit overrated by Broncos fans. I think that a lot are clinging to that Minnesota game where he had that those I think it was two big catches, one yeah. of them from Cortland Sutton. And so I think that people are just clinging on those, but he didn't do much outside of the rest of the season. I mean, granted, he was hurt for a large portion of it. Yep. Which injuries do go all the way back through his college career, too. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, he's very similar to Cortland Sutton. So I, I, it makes a little bit sense trying to use that those guys who with a little bit more size, a little bit more physicality on the outside, letting Judy work the inside makes sense. But my thing too is um, you just invested a second round pick in Hamler. I get you want him to be a, uh, a a gadget type player, but you want to get him out there on the field too, because he is your deep threat. He is the guy who's going to challenge the safeties deep. And he does. He's so quick after the catch and so fast after the catch that getting on the ball quickly is going to cause a lot of problems for those safeties as well. It's going to put a lot of strain on the defense. Um, I know we're not going to see this all 100% of the plays on offense or anything like that. Um, and I'll be kind of curious to see if, um, as the season goes on, if this doesn't kind of change a little bit with how the offseason program has been impacted and everything. KJ Hamler hasn't had a chance to really go out there and work with the offense, learn the offense or anything like that. So maybe just using this as kind of a time to go and get him caught up, get him taught technique and everything like that and see if that changes. And that is if we even have a season, which still is questionable at this point. Yeah, I mean, it is just given what's going on in the world. We actually got a super chat. I'm going to grab that really fast and we'll say hello to the chat before we continue on with this conversation. Uh, Cody Potter coming in with a $5 super. Hey, Cody, thank you for joining the Dev Valley Deep Divers podcast, man. We appreciate your donation. Uh, if I got tickets off of SeatGeek already, am I able to attend the games this year? That's just it. Are there going to be games? We don't know. We don't and know. It, it, it's, there's no definite answer. I mean, they just pushed back. The Broncos just pushed back uh, the rookie um, 
the the arrival date for all the rookies. I can't remember exactly what day it was, but they just pushed that back another couple of days. So we'll we'll see what happens with that. It's still a very fluid situation, and there's no answers, no solid, concrete answers. And you're not going to find anything from us as far as, especially with Eric with being uh, the the Broncos insider. We just don't have any information for you now. Getting back to the the KJ Hamler versus Tim Patrick deal. The, I, I, it's not that I really hate the move, but I, I do dislike it just because. As Eric said, KJ Hamler is at deep threat and he can run. You should see him on a slot fade, guys. The slot fade with him because he's so quick, uh, the quick initial burst getting vertically outside and the, especially in the red zone. It's another massive red zone threat for the Broncos to have that slot fade, um, but also stretching the seams a little bit, stretching horizontally over the middle of the field as well is going to be very big for him. But Tim Patrick is not that kind of a player. He's he, he can run deep kind of, but he's more of a, a comeback receiver. Like he's going to run that 15, 20 yard comeback. He's going to run your dig routes, your post routes, stuff like that. He's not going to be a true take the top off of a defense with his, with his long speed. He just doesn't have that. He's not that kind of a player, but KJ Hamler, I would love to see him more on like jet motions and stuff like that. Getting the, the Tyreek Hill picture Tyreek Hill. That's what I want KJ Hamler to be doing jet motions, a lot of deep threat, stuff like that. Eric's Tyrox. Here we go. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I just, I can see why they would want Tim Patrick because Jerry Judy does work so well out of the slot. And he did so at Alabama a lot of the time. In fact, he was primarily lined up in the slot at Alabama opposite of the, of uh, Henry Ruggs on the other side of the field, who was the single, the single wide receiver. And he was taking the top off of the defense in that way, running quick slants and stuff like that. Jerry Judy did most of his work in the slot with uh, what's the, the waddle guy. I can't remember his first name. It always gets me. And then Devonte Smith also playing on uh, the same side as Jerry Judy as well. So I can see where the Broncos are going with that. Wanting to get Jerry Judy with that elite route running quickness in the slot there. I can see that. But to me, maximize the speed there and put Jerry Judy on the outside, let him work from the outside in and then using KJ Hamler's speed to kind of stretch the, the safeties vertically and open up some stuff for not only Jerry Judy, but Cortland Sutton as well. So it's a very intriguing move. I'd love to, to, to talk more with Ben about that sometime just to see what his opinion is on that. But for me, it's, it's, I don't know. I I'm just not exactly sure about that. It's just, it's definitely very questionable. And I've got, before we get Luke on here, there's one more thing I want to say, but first I want to grab this super chat, Terry Randall, no tie. Sorry, Terry. I was kind of being a little bit of a gamer before jumping on. I was playing a little bit of uh, call of duty Warzone, um, and just forgot to get ready. Um, then I was chatting with Luke and, and Juana and Lance and everything like that too. So sorry about that ties on there. No shirt though. Those are actually getting washed. But anyways, what this is, yeah, it's. I think for me, it's just limiting your offense unnecessarily. Like I can get using Patrick to sub in there and giving a little bit of a different dynamic, but I would want this this group of three to be that, like one of those your counter punches, not your main punch. That's how, kind of how I look at it with with what the traits they have and the tools that they're bringing to the offense. It's just a little bit limiting. Not something that I really would uh, um, do personally. Again, I get it. Um, part of me would actually like to see a little bit, maybe maybe Hamilton out there before Tim Patrick does. At least we saw Hamilton. He has some chemistry down with Drew Locke. Yep. Tim Patrick, he kind of really faded once Drew Locke took over at quarterback. He did have um, that again. One, he did have that one hole shot in uh, in Houston down the left sideline. That was a, a big oh, play. Yeah. But yeah, uh, he did. Have, mean, he did, he did have that one. But I mean, it's yeah. I mean, for me, I don't think that Tim Patrick. Another thing too is I don't think Tim Patrick should be guaranteed a roster spot. At this point, but obviously the coaches see it differently than us. The coaches are the ones making the decisions, so that's not always the best thing. <laughs> we, we won't get down that road, but it has to do with a, a certain Washington team. But uh, yeah, 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 that's yeah, awful. we won't go down that road. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress, and that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. 
Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. No. Uh, the the one reason why I could see Tim Patrick making this roster is because he is really the only true like backup to a Cortland Sutton. They're yeah. they're at least similar enough of a player in a in a play style that you can get Tim you can get Cortland Sutton off the field, give him a breather, put Tim Patrick on. You're not really gonna miss a beat there. He's not gonna be the explosive kind of player that that Cortland Sutton is, but at least Tim Patrick can do a lot of the same things. You're not changing your offense to put Tim Patrick on the field. Now uh there's one one question here I wanted to grab from Todd Edison, Judy in the slot could work, but I thought he was a receiver too. Um, receivers doesn't really what number receiver you are doesn't really dictate where you play. You can have a wide receiver one from the slot. Yep, Christian McCaffrey, he is the Carolina Panthers' number one receiver. Like Tyree for Hill. like Tyreek Hill, he is the Chiefs' number one receiver. Um, being wide receiver one, wide receiver two, it doesn't dictate that you're playing the boundary. Doesn't dictate you're playing the slot. None of that. So he can definitely still be the Judy or be the number two receiver from the slot, and that's probably what I think will be happening here and the more i think about it the more i'm kind of hoping that with tim patrick i'm hoping to see just like basically uh, a split with like 33 percent 33 percent 33 percent with him and two other receivers of course one of them being hamilton and maybe even getting fant out on the boundary a little bit being able yep. to get or okawebo Oka out there like just a lot of options for it but i mean it's just your base thing so we'll yeah. see what happens yeah. All right. Uh, another another super coming in here from Terry up in Canada showing that Broncos country is not a geographic location. It is, in fact, a hashtag state of being. Hashtag Eric's tie rocks. Hashtag state of being. Hashtag Broncos world. Bombs away for locking the boys. Hey, Terry, thanks, man. We appreciate you. Yeah. And bombs away. I, I really want, am very intrigued to see how this offense looks. And yeah. this is actually a good way. First, before we get into this, though, to say hello to everybody in the chat. We got Charlie in here. Charlie Beagle saying what's up. Todd Anderson, Kenneth Booker, James from across the pond, Talon showing it that's a new name to me um obviously john buona beast doing his thing robert caslow anthony cordova on facebook what's up dude uh the clap back to to mike cliss we'll, we'll break that down here in just a minute i'll come back to that question uh make yeah. sure ask that question again here in just a little bit once we get to the questions part of this but for right now guys going back to the broncos offense and how this thing is going to unfold we're going to bring him in he is the wide receivers coach at kenyon college uh he is our very good friend, uh, the the godfather to Eric's daughter, he is the one and only Luke Polglaze. Luke, what's up, man? How are we doing? I'm doing well, guys. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to, to be back again. Uh, take a little bit of umbrage with saying coaches shouldn't make decisions. Uh, I think I do all right for myself. <laughs> but uh, I, if, if we're questioning decisions, we should probably be questioning the color of that tie with that shirt. Um, it was the first. It was the nearest tie near me. Okay. <laughs> Hate to see it. Hate to see it. But thanks for having me, guys. Uh, really excited to be back here again. Yeah, man. Yeah. It's, it's it's great to have you. Go ahead, Eric. So before we get in there, I just have to throw this out there because you know, Cody Potter comes in with another donation, also from AK. Yes, representing the great state of Alaska. Even though I hate living up here, going to Kasilov <laughs> next week. Hey, that's actually just down the road. Quite literally, that's where my bo- that's where my old boss works. But uh, it's gonna be down there, living up on the, the slope life now. Ooh, are you doing two on, two off? Or I'm always curious about that. I know a guy that um, he's friends with my current boss, who does he does four weeks on, or four months on and one month off or something like that, or three months on, one month off, something. But always interesting to hear about that. I see Judy in the slot, more like Juju for Pittsburgh. Hashtag state of being. That's definitely a possibility. I think yeah. that Juju Smith is a little bit more of a deep threat than Jerry Judy is. 
But yeah, I definitely can see kind of a, a similar style of usage from him out of the slot as we see Juju Smith-Schuster. Yeah. All right. Now, Luke, let's get your take just really quick. I know you've, you've done some work on Jerry Judy. Where would you prefer the Broncos play Jerry Judy to start the season this year? That's a great question. And, and one I think you have to look at with Jerry Judy, a lot of people said coming into the draft that he was a, a pro-ready receiver, right? That's kind of with air quotes that he's pro-ready. Um, you know, what, is it, what does it mean to be a pro-ready position, a player at any position? Um, I think it means that you have, you do certain things at a level that's already going to give you the chance to succeed in the, in the NFL level. Uh, and one thing Jerry Judy does well is he wins super well with his releases. Um, he's obviously a route technician, puts a lot of time and effort into his releases, into being able to get off the ball effectively. Um, he uses his stems really effectively. And what I mean by a stem is understanding space at the second and third levels. Um, so he understands where a linebacker and overhang is going to come out to meet him or where the safety is over the top, right? He understands the leverage of all those different defenders and he's really creative in finding space amongst all of them as well. Um, so he's, he's just very, very smooth. He's very polished already. And obviously there are things that the Broncos are going to be able to coach him on that he's going to be able to improve and get better at. Um, but just right off the bat, he's so smooth and polished that honestly with his advanced understanding of space, I think you could play him at really slot or outside. Yeah. Um, and I think that could be an easily, uh, you know, a situation where the Broncos are looking at him on their board and saying, Hey, this is a guy who can play a lot of different positions for us. That's going to give us a lot of flexibility to maybe move some chess pieces around. Yeah. Um, and honestly speaking, as a coach, a lot of times when you go into a camp, you might have a couple guys that you'll start out the first couple days as starters and that you still keep those open competitions and you kind of move some chess pieces around. You kind of see where guys fit and you give guys the opportunity to compete for jobs. Um, I've never been in a situation where all 22 starting spots are locked in going to camp. It just doesn't happen. Um, so especially with a guy like Jerry Judy, I think they'll give him a chance to, to try a couple of different spots, maybe see where he feels most comfortable, but also where they're going to be able to get the most value from him um, because he's going to be one of their best 11 players that they got to get out on the field some way, somehow. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely for sure. And I think I can speak from line two is I know you don't know much about Tim Patrick. I asked you about it well before we went live, um, actually a few days ago. But uh, our, our biggest issue is more so of Tim Patrick being out there. I mean, which you, you hit the nail on the head with Jerry Judy is you can't use him from anywhere. But uh, it's just with Tim Patrick, after investing what they did in KJ Hamler, it just doesn't make sense to me. But you are also spot on with that. He's not locked in there. And there's a lot that can change during camp preseason or whatever that ends up happening with the preseason and all that stuff this year still don't know yet so yeah you definitely hit the nail on the head but uh, we're gonna move this along because we brought you in to talk about melvin gordon and kind of what to expect out of him um him as a player and everything like that and just kind of get get thoughts of a running back coach on melvin gordon so go ahead Absolutely. Well, and I'm I'm going to throw this out there with a quick uh, quick preface, which is I'm not I'm not a medical expert, which I know that is kind of one of the big <laughs> things with Melvin Gordon is, you know, I'm not a medical expert. I'm not a capologist. I'm not going to be here and say, oh, you know, I think based on the value or who's on the market, like I mean, we were just talking before we hopped on here, like. I don't, I don't watch a ton of NFL as much as I used to, so I'm kind of disconnected with certain things. Um, so you're going to have to bear with me that, that some of my takes aren't necessarily going to be about the strength of a signing or anything like that. But what I can do is give you an explanation of, of what my thoughts are on him as a player. Um, for him, I thought that the Chargers offense last year ran a lot of different multiple, very different run schemes. And I thought he executed all those very well. Um, they had kind of your classics, um, you know, inside zone, duo, wide zone, uh, kind of a mid zone type deal. Um, they ran a little bit of pin and pull, a little bit of counter toss, a little bit of counter tray. So with all those, you've got different coaching points for each individual play. You've got to be able to execute different assignments on each play. Um, so for, for him, you know, he's already come from a pro style offense in college. He's already used to running things at Wisconsin that he's well set up for in the pros. And so he's, he's able to run a lot of different things and I think is pretty versatile to be perfectly honest. Um, a couple of, of other notes for, for me, um, he does a great job of running behind his pads. And I'm going to take a moment and kind of talk about that. For me, when I talk about a running back running behind his pads, which I think is something I've talked about on this show before, is it means when he's going through the hole, right, when he's, when he's bursting his way through, 
when he's going through traffic, he lowers his pads. We always talk about pad levels, coaches, about low man wins uh, and about being able to, to deliver a blow and create leverage, right? Because someone coming from up underneath is going to be able to generate more force. Um, so someone who runs behind his pads is a guy who has great low pad level that when he runs through, his pads are more or less leading the way as he, as he, as he hits the hole, right? He's protecting the rock. He's, he's behind his pads. And so it's not a situation where the ball or where his chest is leading the way through the hole. He's running behind his pads. He's running um, with a great low center. Um, and that makes him harder to tackle ultimately. And it gives him great leverage of running through tackles. Now, there's one thing specifically that I wanted to ask you about, and this is a big reason as to why the Broncos brought Melvin Gordon in, specifically as a pass protector and as a pass catcher. But first, what are the things that Melvin Gordon does as a pass protector that separates him from a lot of guys in the NFL? I think he has, I mean, obviously when you're a guy with Phillip Rivers, you're going to be expected to, to protect the quarterback, right? Um, Phillip Rivers is, to put it kindly, probably not the most mobile guy on the field. Um, and, you know, he's a pocket passer, so you got to be able to create a pocket for him to, to step up in. Um, the thing with Melvin Gordon is he's been in that scheme for years. He understands the pass protection and he makes, he's involved in making the checks at the line. Um, what I mean with that is when the quarterback goes up to the line, there's kind of a long running term in, in running back circles is that the running back is the assistant quarterback. So whenever the quarterback goes up to talk to the line, the running back should be right on his hip listening in as well because he, he needs to be in every single line call that's, that gets made. Um, so Melvin Gordon, the way that they typically run their offense a lot of the time is with some kind of play fake. Um, so he'll, he'll have a play fake and often kind of cross over to the other side to pass block. Um, there was one where the Packers brought two off the edge against him, and he, he had to really kind of haul over and get on his bike and, and get that last guy. But you know, he's got great agility. We know that he's a great side-to-side runner, and that translates so well in pass blocking. The other thing is he's just a really smooth, polished pass blocker. And one thing I noticed really time and again was when he runs checkdowns, like, it is beautiful. Like, he'll step up, scan, scan. Like, he's he's going from his, his read points to another, right? So he knows he's got, say, he's reading from that guy to that guy to that guy. If any one of them blitz, you'll see him go pop, pop. Stop, pause, and then get out in, in his check down. Like the timing really is immaculate. He's obviously really well polished and really well drilled when it comes to that. Man, so stuff. with adding that to a young quarterback like Drew Locke, who has five starts in the NFL, how beneficial can that be towards helping Drew Locke and helping him kind of grow as a quarterback with having somebody like Gordon who can do that with the timing so so perfectly? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and I think it comes down to you're going to have different offensive schemes that make that have different things involved. You know, maybe the Broncos with a young quarterback, they're going to take something off Drew Locke's plate and they're going to let the center make the line calls. So the center's going to identify the blitzes. The center's going to set the protection. Um, you know, that's probably more of a college thing than it is an NFL thing. I would imagine most NFL teams, no matter what, are going to give the quarterback the ability to set his own protection. Um, but with with something like that, you've got a guy like Melvin Gordon who's seen so many different pass protection fronts and blitzes. You know, he's going to have a great role. And if he sees, you know, something where a, a player is threatening a blitz or something like that, he has the ability to call that out and, and get the quarterback in line's attention um, so that they can adjust their protection as necessary. Um, the one thing is, as being a running back is, you know, the, the O-line is going to is gonna do a great job up front, but you have to be that second level of, of protection for the quarterback. So you have to be sure of what they're doing, because if you think they're one, they're doing one thing and you're, you're in a different scheme entirely, then that's when your quarterback gets hurt. And so he's, he's a veteran guy, you know, he's, he's been in that, in that kind of role for a long time. He's, you know, he's a bigger, you know, we talk about, he's a bigger power back. He's still in on third and short, man. Like he's still a third down back. He still gets in there to block. You know, he's, he's still, he's still very much relied on as a, as a major blocking component um, in the, in pass protection. So, you mentioned the offensive line. I just kind of want to get your quick thoughts on this. Now, in his career, Melvin Gordon has only been over a 4.0 average per rush once. And that was in 2018, where he only played it and started in 12 games. Every other year, it's been 3.9, 3.9, 3.8, 3.5. Now, we already know how dependent the running backs are on the offensive line. So, I don't know how much you focus when watching watching Melvin Gordon that you looked at the offensive line, but can you speak about how much the offensive line potentially hurt Melvin Gordon with their inability to run block? 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, when you when you look at a player, it's hard to evaluate one player in a vacuum, especially with something as complicated as a running back. You know, running back, running, running back is one of the most complex positions on the field because they have to know the pass pro scheme. They have to know the run scheme and their keys. They have to know the, the, the passing overall offense because they have to know where their checkdowns fit into it. So a running back is an assistant quarterback in so much more than just the, the initial sense of every time the quarterback walks up to talk to the center, the running back goes with him. So one play jumps to mind in particular, again, the Packers, this was like week nine of last year um, when I was watching, they were running inside zone, um, so inside zone for the running backs, pretty straightforward keys. He's going to press front side. Um, he's going to usually attack the kind of where the double team is forming. Um, he's going to make the linebacker commit one way or the other. And then where that linebacker is going, he'll go to the other side. So you'll, you'll, you'll hear a, a bunch of different coaching points for that of, you know, bring the linebacker to the party and cut off of him. Right. So that the, the linebacker will never be right. You know, because because you you know where he's going, you're you're cutting off of that. Um, and there's one play on that in that game in particular where um, basically what happened is they were running it. And I'm going to get a little bit in the weeds here, but they were running it. The, the the nose tackle for the Packers did a great job of chewing up the double team. Right. He occupied that double team. The other D tackle slanted and kind of collided into the double team. So what ended up happening was that that. Double team, which is supposed to, to combo off that nose tackle and climb up, you know, with one splitting off to block the linebacker, they never got to the linebacker, right? So we had a free hitter in the box on an inside zone, which is normally not great news, right? You've got yeah. you're 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 out leveraged basically. Um, Melvin Gordon did a great job, dropped his pads, ran through that tackle. Now he ultimately got brought down as like a five six yard gain. But that's tough. And, you know, that could be poor or poor line play. That could be – and it was a great play from the one-tech nose tackle to chew up that double team and make sure that they couldn't get to the linebacker. You know, if I'm a D-line coach, I'm putting that thing on my – I'm putting that on my wall, right? That that nose tackle did his job. That linebacker was free to make a play. But if I'm a running backs coach, I'm putting that thing on my wall, right? We made the linebacker miss. He was the free hitter in the box, and we made him miss. Um, so I think that's that's the thing where with running backs where they have to be able to create in those situations where things break down. You know, there's never been – well, there's seldom been a thing such as a perfect run play. There's going to be moments when things hit, and that hole will be open for that fraction of a second. But you also got to be able to create in chaos when the play breaks down and when you've got a free hitter bearing down on you. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, absolutely, man. This is a great discussion right now, especially because you just broke down how the inside zone works for these guys to actually kind of visualize and look at. And I really wish we could use some film so you could really show this playoff and and give the dynamic that you're talking about here. But going to back to the Broncos, just specifically here, Pat Shermer runs an inside zone offense. That's his running scheme. is is very heavy inside zone stuff like that. So you're going to see a lot of the same kind of stuff with Melvin Gordon this year, where maybe we're not going to see those because. A free hitter in the box and you're on an inside zone play, that's like a two-yard gain, if that. And he turns it into a five- or six-yard play. That's the ability to create not only having chaos in front of you, to be a, the ability to slip a tackle, run over a guy, and then still extend and fall forward. I love the, one, the way that he falls forward as a runner because, he, as you said earlier, he does run behind his pads so well. Now, is Melvin Gordon best suited as an inside zone runner, or do you think that there's some outside stuff that he can do as well? One thing I was really impressed with was honestly his footwork. Um, like he's he's got great footwork um, on. There was one play I was watching. I can't remember which game, but he's running some kind of mid zone where he's with mid zone. You're going to track laterally. Um, the idea is to force the defense to overcommit and over. I guess, flow too hard and then to be able to cut back, right? We think of outside zone of the Kubiak years. Um, mid zone is going to be more or less that same thing. Um for for mid zone, you've got to be able to have a guy who can stop his feet, cut back against the flow of play, and that's one thing I think he does really well. Is he when he finds that one cut, 
he sticks his foot in the ground and he gets vertical. Um, and you know, I didn't, I didn't in the games I watched, I didn't really see the chargers running a lot of power. Um, they did a lot of stuff of, of counter, um, counter tray toss counter, which is all such a very footwork dependent play for, for running backs. And, um, if you don't have the right footwork, your counter is not going to work well because it's so dependent on creating and on setting up the blocking scheme. Um, I think one thing that a lot of people don't realize about running backs is how much their footwork and how much what they do influences the defense for them to be able to create space. So even just if you're, if you're running say mid zone and you're pressing, I don't know. It depends on what, how you coach it. But like, if you're pressing front side, if you're, if you're attacking targeting front side and you give just a little head nod extra right there, you know, just to get that linebacker to take that one step past where you're going to be able to, or past where he's going to be able to make a play on you. That's when you're able to, to put your foot in the ground and, and get upfield. Um, so like I said, I didn't see them running a lot of power on the plays I watched, but you know, I was really impressed with him running, running, you know, pin and pull running counter running mid uh, mid zone. So, go ahead, Eric. I just want to say, get this in here, David from David Kilgore, five dollar donation. Thank you, David. Are you meaning to ask Luke? It says, "Hello, Stephen. Want to know what your thoughts on KJ Hamler? Do you think he's better than Rugs in Las Vegas?" Um, yeah, just were you asking, were you wondering about Luke for that, or or what? I think he was just saying um, hello to Stephen, Stephen, Stephen Baumgartner in, in the chat too. Um, but yeah, I. I don't think that he's as my personal opinion is. I don't think he's as good as Ruggs is. Um, I think that Ruggs is a guy who he only had like three career drops, and KJ Hamler is a guy who dropped sixteen, almost seventeen percent of his passes last year. So I think there's definitely that big difference with their hands. And Henry Ruggs is built a little bit bigger, um, a little bit better build. I mean, he's not a huge receiver. He's still a little bit. He's kind of like an average size receiver a little bit. And KJ Hamler is definitely a little bit smaller. So those are just two things that I, I do think that Ruggs is better, but for when Denver got KJ Hamler, I'm, I'm perfectly fine with that. Yeah. All right, I got another super coming in here really fast before we get back to the Melvin Gordon discussion. Uh, Chris Hernandez with a very generous super chat coming in here. says, can't stay, but we'll definitely listen later. Have a great show, gents. Go Broncos. Hashtag click those little thumbs up. Yes, guys, we didn't do this at the beginning of the show like we generally always do. But the three easiest things that you guys can do to support the show is, one, subscribe wherever you guys are watching this, whether it's on YouTube, on Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, anything like that. Subscribe to Mile High Huddle. Like every video that you see, and if you Love the content that we're putting out there. Share it. Share it out to as many Broncos fans. Get as many eyes as you can and as many ears as you can on Luke because he is dropping some fire knowledge right now, guys. Absolutely amazing stuff coming out of Luke right now. Now, before we just got to those super chats, there was a very uh, – this is an interesting question because we were we were doing some defensive line technique stuff uh, the other day, a couple weeks ago on the show, and we were talking, you know, just defensive alignment and stuff like that. So we're trying to get into a little bit of the X's and O's here. Now, you're talking about running schemes, inside zones, outside zones, mid zones, counter tray, counter trap, stuff like that, ISO. What is counter tray and counter trap? What did those mean? And kind of try to – visualize this if you can for everybody. All right. So <laughs> you're, you're going to really awaken my inner, inner run game nerd right here. But so basically what you're trying to create with counter is you're going to imitate weak side power. So it's basically, it's meant as a complement to power when you've run power effectively, that it's going to create flow against the other direction. Um, so there's kind of two main broad variations of counter. Um, there's counter full stop which is going to involve pulling. Um, you, you'll see this a lot with like Oklahoma does this a lot. Um, it's like a GT counter. Well, they're, what, what they'll do is they'll, if they're running, say, to the right, they'll, they'll block back against the flow with their center, their guard, and their tackle to that side. They'll pull the backside guard. He's going to kick, which means that he, whatever the first guy is on the edge over there, that he's just going to flat go – pull flat across and kick that guy out and widen him. And then the second guy, the pull and tackle is going to wrap and insert. So he's going to climb up to the linebacker play side and block him. So it's, it's creating an illusion of, of weak side power and, and, you know, forcing the defense to, to account for it in a different way. Now counter tray is basically doing the same thing. The guard's still going to pull and kick, but instead of having a tackle pull, we're going to pull a tight end or a fullback into the hole here. Um, and so that's especially when you get those really agile, really athletic um, tight ends and fullbacks that you see in the NFL today. Those are the guys who are going to be kind of coming across the, the play and inserting for the linebacker play side. 
Um, so without without getting too too into the weeds here, um, <laughs> counter is a play that that pulls two guys and is going to have a lot of effectiveness with 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 being able to pull two guys because basically what you're doing the defense is going to fit run gaps right we talk about them all the time the a gap the b gap the c gap the d gap right but what you're doing is you're pulling those two guys front side you've created two more gaps front side right you've taken two guys from one side of the line and you've moved them to the other so now the defense has to be able to fit those additional guys in the run fit or you're going to be able to run the ball really effectively. Man, I love it. Love it. Eric, anything else for you, man? Uh, no, I really, I mean, we've covered a lot of it um, about his block, Gordon's blocking ability, how he can fit, how he can help Drew Locke, what he can do as a runner, how he kind of fits in with this inside zone that we're going to be getting from Pat Shermer. We really covered a lot of it. And Luke, I mean, we got a donation here from Terry Randall from Canada, Lance, not California. No, he's says, Coach Luke is the man, and you definitely are, Luke. I mean, it's yeah. awesome getting to know you over the years and everything and becoming such good friends with you. And just anytime I'm talking to you about football, you always end up blowing me away, and that's saying something. Yeah. I appreciate so, that. Thank you, man. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's awesome to be able to talk to you. I was so upset the first time that uh, we were supposed to have you on, and I had that <laughs> internet failure, and I was, I was so mad that I couldn't actually join in and actually have the conversation. But every time that we, we get to talk to you, you edify me, you educate me in, on everything, that, especially the X's and O's stuff. And I'd really like to sit down and talk with you some more, maybe get a chalkboard because someone, Bawana Beast, <laughs> he comes in and he says, someone get Luca chalkboard right now. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm about it. Uh, he says. Uh, he also says, uh, Luke made me dizzy in a good way. So, <laughs> I've, but, got, uh, I've got a I've got a big pad of paper next to me, guys. So be careful what you wish for. <laughs> so let's let's get some questions rolling in here, guys. I see there's one from uh, from Kenneth Booker. This is sp- specifically for Coach. Uh, he says, "What is the best way to get into coaching uh, for someone who didn't play collegiately?" That's a great question, Kenneth. Um, honestly, and I'll be honest with you guys, like Eric knows this about me. I didn't even play in high school. I was a tennis player for nine years. Like I've never played a snap of football in my life. Um, and it's been, you know, it's been an amazing opportunity for me to get to coach, you know, three seasons so far at the college level. Um, honestly, like the, the best thing I can say is go to go to your local high school, say, hey, I want to get involved. I want to start coaching in some way, um, you know, high school kids across the country, like they're, they're, they need help. Um, they need your support of, of, you know, being a teacher or being a coach, whatever it is. And like, if you can go and be a positive influence on a young man's life, that's an amazing opportunity while at the same time getting to strengthen your, your understanding for the game of football. Like I, I didn't start coaching receivers until about a year ago, literally on the calendar right now, the, the level of understanding I had of coaching receivers then versus now is insane. Like just getting the time to spend on the field, understanding, you know, the, the game itself in a more in-person in-depth atmosphere is going to, it's going to help you so much. So like the, the, the best way to start is honestly right where you are. Just go to your local high school, hit up your local head coach. Like I guarantee you so many high schools are just undermanned um, and they will welcome the help and they will be more than happy to take you under their wing and help you to start coaching. And honestly, great job. This is the overtime podcast network. Yeah, and on that a little bit is, I mean, I'm not coaching in college or anything like that, but I've done a little bit of coaching locally and stuff. And yeah, it's just the same, it's just the same thing. Is um, for me, I had a teacher when I was in high school who her husband coached one of the local football teams, and he, I taught, sat down, I just talked to him one day. He came in for lunch at high school, and afterwards, he's just decided to bring me on for a little bit and just see what I could do. He had me watching tape, trying to breaking down tape from other high schools and everything like that. So not really coaching, just kind of breaking down tape and stuff. But yeah, you can always just go in to a local high school and just ask. Like it, it doesn't hurt to ask if you want to get into that coaching. Um, it's a lot of work. It yeah. can be a lot of time. Yeah. Um, can be very frustrating dealing with some of these high school kids at times. I know it was for me. Um, it was definitely also frustrating dealing with some of the other coaches. Yeah. So definitely a little bit everything, but yeah, just, just go talk to your high school, local high school. I mean, at the very, at the very least, I know a couple other people that they didn't play or anything like that. And their, their knowledge of football wasn't that much, but they were still willing, the coaches and thing were still willing to bring them in and they were helping teach them how to coach and about the schemes and stuff, as well as the high school players. So that's, yeah. re- that's really your main step. 
being a volunteer, man, just go be a volunteer and don't expect anything out of it. Just to go and have fun. That's the biggest thing. Learn as much as you can be a volunteer, help the kids out, be a positive and positive reinforcement for guys. If you have to chew a kid out, then you have to chew a kid out. That's part of being a coach, but do whatever you can. If nothing else, go hold a tackling dummy, like go, go be a tackling dummy for somebody like that. There's, always room for more people to help, especially in a football practice, especially in a high school setting. Like there's, they're underfunded, they're, they're understaffed all the time. So if you can, if you have just whatever local high school, even your local middle school, elementary school, if you got Pop Warner football, like that's a, that's a really easy way to go in and oh, yeah. just become a coach, you know, and, and help. And if you, if you want to learn some more X's and O's stuff, always reach out to us on Twitter. You can find me at Sanderson MHH, Eric at Eric Trickle, Coach Luke at, uh, at Luke Polglaze. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of easy ways to get into coaching. So you don't have to really be, it helps if you have a, a public uh, or a, a, a what is it? Uh, the uh, uh, a, a PE certification. If you're like, if you have a little bit of education in, in physical education, um, something like that really helps. Just because you've at least put in some work and you understand the education side of things. Because especially with young kids, young high school kids, like you, you got to be able to be an educator as well. But uh, even you don't really even have to have that. It just helps a lot, and you'll get some more eyes looking at you, especially if you're doing a good job. So. So I want to grab this. There's a question I want to grab too after we grab the super chat from. Wait, did we grab the one from James already? No, we super haven't. Chat. No. So James came in with the five dollar donation. Well, not dollar, but pounds. What is pounds. Pounds. Uh, oh, it says queen. this pot is truly enriching. Thank you, Coach Luke, for your insight. Uh, James, thank you. I mean, your support's always awesome, and we're always glad yeah. that you're able to make it and stay up so late to watch and everything. And then Robert comes in. Are there any famous coaches who didn't play football in college or the NFL? Well. Vic Fangio. He didn't play in college. He only played in high school. Wade Phillips is another one. He didn't play in college either. Did Bill Belichick play in college? Uh, I think, Bill, I think Bill, he did. Bill Belichick played, I believe, at a D3 school, which yeah. the, the name is escaping my mind right that's now. Right. That's right. Um, if I'm not mistaken, Adam Gase also did not play in college. I think yeah, he I don't may think so have played in high school, if that. Um, so, yeah, there are absolutely coaches that you've heard of that you probably just don't realize didn't play in college or the NFL, but yeah. – um, probably more of them not in the not in the uh, in the NFL than in college. So I got another question here, and this was from earlier, and I wanted to grab this again from Robert, who comes in with the best questions. This guy has very very he wants to learn a lot. Not this paying is, not playing favorites or anything, guys. No, uh, Robert is awesome. I shout him out on Twitter after every single show for the great questions he always brings. But uh, he he come in with this when we were talking about. Tim Patrick specifically, because I said he's he's going to excel at the at the the twenty yard comeback routes, uh, a dig route and a post route. And he asks, "What is a dig route and what is a post route?" And now you being the wide receivers coach at Kenyon College, I think you have a pretty decent idea on how to explain this, Luke. So why don't you go ahead? Yeah, absolutely. So a dig and a post route are kind of two of your deeper route patterns that attack the the middle of the field. Um, so for instance, with a post, um, you're going to usually climb to about eight to 10 yards, stick your outside foot in the ground and you're going to break literally to the goal post, right? The, the big old thing, it's hard to miss. <laughs> like that is the post that you're aiming for. So you're going to break and kind of go at like a 45 degree angle at the top. Um, a lot of the time, this is going to be your deep shot kind of play. A lot of the time you'll get this with any kind of play action because it's, it's play action is going to try and suck the safeties down, right? Cause they're going to read run. There's going to leave a little bit of room over the top for for a play action um and so you can hit the post digs on the other hand are gonna you're gonna get to about the same depth usually and you're gonna break that off at 90 degrees so you're gonna climb to your depth and then break straight across to the opposite sideline a lot of the time if you're on like a yard line you'll run literally right across the yard line um so a lot of teams especially this is kind of an air raid deal will run a dig with like a shallow underneath because what you're trying to do is create some high-low separation. You're trying to put the linebackers in a bind, you know, make them choose between playing the shallow or playing the dig, and you'll be able to hit one or the other. Um, so a post is going to be breaking a little bit deeper. Dig is going to come across the middle of the field. 
Yeah, typically what a, a ten to fifteen yards square in would be a, a a dig route more or less. Now on the on the opposite side of that post route, you have a flag or a corner route. So instead of running to the post, you're going to be running to the corner, the 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 pylon essentially is where you're going to be breaking that route to. And a lot of times with a with a corner route, you're going to see an inside stem. You're going to break to the inside first, then get vertically, and then break to the outside to create some separation from you and the sideline to open up and give your quarterback an area to throw the football into with a post route you don't need to have that so long as the safety doesn't bite and and take the post away from you you can hit that post on a deep shot pretty much every single time on a on a corner route luke correct me if i'm wrong on this especially if you're lined up as an outside receiver on the line of scrimmage you're going to want to have an inside release off the line of scrimmage get inside a little bit and then get vertically so what is it like a not like really a slant go and then break. What is it like three or four yards worth of getting inside, then vertically 10 yards and then break to the outside. Yeah. Well, realistically in that case, you're just inside releasing it. So like, as long as you're able to get to the inside leverage of the defender, then you're able to have success. Um, I don't think like corners, I think you can run easily with, with either an inside or an outside release. Like um, really it depends on with the corner, what, so much of what's important is what's called stacking the defender where you're basically putting the defender in your back pocket. He's behind you and he's not able to react to. So yes, it's, it's probably not a great idea to outside release an outside breaking route, right? You're kind of taking away your own space for the quarterback to throw the ball. Um, I know we've talked about this on the podcast before, but one term that the coaches coaches will use is kind of, it's called the red line, which is basically the line that receivers want to stay on usually about the bottom of the numbers to leave that much space outside them for the quarterback to deliver the ball. So if you're fast enough and you can outside release that guy, stack him, get on top of the, the DB where he can't get to you and get to the red line, that's when you're going to be able to break um, kind of towards the corner um, with, with a little bit more success. All right. And uh, I got a question here from Cody Cody Potter, kind of going back to asking about how to get in coaching. He goes, I feel like I would be a better scout than coach. Any help on that? Luke? Yeah, and, and one one thing I will say, like, as I know these questions keep coming up and they're awesome and I'm all about it. If you guys have any questions or you want to reach out to me directly, obviously my Twitter handle is on the screen, at Luke Polglaze. Feel free to reach out to me. Um, better uh, like scouting, honestly, a lot of high schools are in the kind of the same boat where you've got a guy who's the head coach, maybe a couple of assistant coaches. The head coach is a teacher full time at the school on top of that. He's flat out busy. He's got a design practice. He's probably going to be the offensive or defensive coordinator, maybe special teams as well. He's got a ton of responsibilities. Maybe he gets to watching film of the opponents. Honestly, in some high schools, maybe he doesn't. You know, the team is just going to be able to run their scheme against kind of whatever they see um, and to be able to adjust from there. So honestly, like don't discount scouting in high school, um, especially because that's going to be high school. A lot of the time is going to be pretty straightforward, simplistic offensive and defensive schemes. It's going to be helpful for you to kind of start to identify those. I watch NFL film guys. I don't even know what they're running some of the time. Like I know that there are (laughs) college teams that run 27 different run schemes. My team runs about seven or eight. Like, if a college team runs 27, like imagine what the pros run, like, you know, be able to just kind of take a step, you know, one step at a time, build from there. Like I guarantee you that there are high school coaches across this country who would love to have a guy on staff who just, even if he doesn't feel comfortable coaching on the field or, you know, wants to kind of build into that, just scouts the other team that they're about to play that week and tells them what they run. And on that is, yeah. I mean, as Luke said, just go talk to your, local high school and don't want that to seem like it's a cop-out or anything like that but what he said is there i mean at least here in alaska there are a lot of coaches that they aren't able to get to watching tape on their opponents because they just don't have the time for it now i saw earlier that you said you were up in anchorage and it might be a little bit different with the high schools up there because they're a little bit bigger down here with the with kchs and so high and all that the coaches they don't have time i mean the head coach for the um for kchs is a state trooper so he doesn't he doesn't have time because he has his other job and everything like that, and uh, that's how that's one that's what I was able to what I was originally brought in to do, the first time when I was working with Sohai was to go and be a uh, breakdown college tape and everything like that. So yeah, that's one thing to do. And there's also a great resource out there for people that's called the Scouting Academy. That I mean, if you get your basics down and everything like that, that is a great step. Um, there's, they constantly put out on their Twitter feed about the success stories that they've had of yep. people getting into being college recruiters, even NFL scouts. 
So that's definitely the way um, I got into doing it just basically for fun. And then I was in a comment section and it was actually Luke Pog, Mr. Luke Poglace and Chad Jensen, our boss here at Mila Heddle. They were pro football focus. No, not pro football, a pro football spot. spot. Yeah. Was the name of the site. And I was just commenting and one day they just reached out to me and everything. And then from there, it just kind of grew and I just got more into it and everything like that. And I've heard some stuff about NFL scouts that I don't want to do it professionally, like just time away from home and all that stuff. But yeah, that's just, there's a, there's a couple, there's a lot of great resources out there. Scouting Academy and local high schools are two of the best. Yeah. The Scouting Academy, I thought about doing that a couple of years ago. And if I'd have had the money to be able to pay to be able to do that, I probably would have just because it seems like that's what I always wanted to do. I love scouting the draft and I do my own way. I have my own terminology, my own lingo. Everybody does. There's we're we're actually I'm going to tease this just a little bit. We're going to break break down and define some scouting terms here in a couple of weeks. Eric and I have been talking about this one for the last couple of days, three weeks from now. But uh, we'll, we'll get to that. Just the, the different terminology and stuff like that. Watch watch film. That's the easiest way, first and foremost. Watch a lot of film. Everything you can. Um, try to learn as much as you can. I know that Matt Bowen did a very good series on Bleacher Report a couple years ago about breaking down. I mean, he went offensive schemes. He went defensive schemes. What does it mean is to be a 3-4 a over and under uh what what kind of coverage schemes cover one robber uh, covered uh, like a Tampa two he broke down literally every aspect of football it's a long read but it's very very good insightful knowledge I learned a lot from watching uh, from reading that as well um, and, and in fact we're gonna do uh, another tease here we're gonna do some coverages as well I saw a question about this earlier uh, Tampa t- yeah that's two weeks <laughs> from now uh, but. Uh, the, uh, the 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 complex coverage schemes and stuff. We're going to break down some simplistic kind of stuff like that. Luke, I'd love to get your insight on some of that as well. Actually, on coverages, man. Um, well, and it's funny because you'll get you'll get different you know levels of the game, and you know certainly at the pro level, the again like in like with run schemes and diversity of those, there's a million different coverages and a different little, a million different little things they'll do. Um, you know, at, at the high school level, your kind of primary couple coverages are zero, one, two, three, and four, right? But all of which kind of roughly refer to how many pl- safe or not necessarily safeties, how many defensive backs are playing kind of higher in the field, right? That they're kind of keeping a little bit more of the game in front of you. Um, and even something that's that's called a cover four can look so different for so many people. Um, yeah. Some people are going to play a really soft cover four, right? They're going to have their corners off at eight, nine yards. Um, they're going to be able to keep everything in front of you. You look at a guy like Pat Narduzzi at Pitt, plays a really aggressive cover four. He's basically going to lock down the two outside receivers, basically play man on them, and then have his two safeties kind of a little bit lower, eight, nine yards, so that they can play the box. So he's basically created a nine-man box so that he can play the run and get bodies to the run really effectively. Um, And honestly, another great resource, if you guys are really, really want to get into this and have a little bit of um, spare cash to kind of throw at some things, um, both the Glazier uh, clinics and Nike Coach of the Year clinics usually um, do these kind of circuits where where they'll go to major cities around the country. Um, And a lot of the times high school staffs will go to those, which is a great networking opportunity to get into coaching. But there's a lot of guys just kind of off the street who go to those. I had the opportunity to go to one and... um, Coach uh, John DeFilippo, who was then the quarterback's coach for the Eagles, gave three talks back to back to back. And if you're a football nerd and there's nothing you want to do more on a Saturday morning than listen to him talk about red zone, like ways to attack red zone coverage out of empty. Oh, my God, it's the best. Like, you know, if that if that speaks to you, if that speaks to you, like register for one of those, like that's a great way to just learn so much about the nitty gritty of the way certain people do their their defenses or their offenses. Yeah, and I, I just saw this comment from Dave Darlington. He said, I refereed at high school for 17 years. After the game, I would get with coaches if I saw a tendency so they can coach up the kids. Yeah, and um, there was actually a guy I was talking to, the local high school coach, the one who's a state trooper, um, just because I see him every almost every day. And we were talking about this, and he says that they, he actually has one person on his staff that their whole job is to watch their own players every single game and see if there's any bad tendencies, bad habits that they have so they can try and work with them and coach that out. So yeah, it's actually, it's very common for a bunch of people to do that because I mean, they, they want the players to stay, stay, stay safe. And I'm sure you did too, back when you were refereeing, you didn't want kids getting hurt. Obviously. I mean, nobody really does, 
And bad habits and bad tendencies often can lead to bad injuries. So yes, they, they just have, they have somebody that just goes and that's their, that's their whole job. It's just to make sure they can, they're pointing them out. They sit there with a the notebook, writing down whatever they see so they can go talk to them afterwards. Yep. All right. Charlie Beagle coming in here for a question with a question for Luke. Uh, who is Kenyon's most successful NFL player or is there any Kenyon college players in the NFL? Yeah, well, as D3, it's it's kind of a unique position that, that you know, guys come to D3 to play football or play any sport for the love of it, right? Because we're non-scholarship. You won't get any kind of athletic money for getting to play college football at our level. Um, there was a guy who played for the Giants, I think, in the 70s or 80s. Um, we were lucky enough to have, this was, I think, just three years ago, a guy by the name of Brian Hunka, um, who was one of the top D3 receivers, certainly in his year, potentially of all time, I think, this predates me. I can't claim him by any means, but um, he got a rookie mini camp tryout with Washington, um, which, you know, for a D3 football player, there's maybe a couple guys every year who get that look. Um, and so that was huge. So yeah, we've, we've had some, um, I think he graduated in 2016. Um, so yeah, we've, we've certainly had one guy get a look at the pros even recently. And, you know, that's the funny thing about D3 football is I've had NFL scouts at games before. Um, like they, they do look at guys at this level. Yeah. All right, guys, we don't have much time left. I do want to, since Lance already kind of teased him a little bit before we get out of here, I do want to talk about what we kind of have planned for the next few shows going on. Um, just real quick, I know next week we're actually going to have Carl coming on, Carl Dummler of Building the Broncos. We're going to sit there and we're going to get, we're going to be talking about a little bit of some hot takes that we may have and then just kind of hang out and chat with you guys and just kind of have a nice, easy, relaxing show next week before training camp and all that stuff is supposed to start kicking off and getting all this news that's likely to come in just the next week and everything. Uh, or the following week, then the week after that, we're going to be talking about coverages. That's going to be Lance's Lance's thing. Um, coverages, as I've said last week is a thing I struggle, still struggle with to this day. It's one thing that I just can't fully get down. And then the week after that is the week that we're going to be talking about different kind of terms that you hear terminology, um, like what it means. I mean, some of them are kind of obvious a little bit, like the difference between a Southwest and a, a, a South or North South and East West runner and kind of what the difference is there. Um, arm talent. We're going to talk about the definition of how we define it. We're going to talk about having stand in your pants as a blocker, all these different kind of, th- kind of terms that you kind of see and everything and hear about with us. So that's, what's coming in the next three weeks. And, but yeah, you guys, if you guys have any, other questions, go ahead and ask them in. We still have, as I said, a few minutes left. There was one that I wanted to get, but it ran away. It was the one that we had on Facebook earlier, and I don't remember exactly what it was. Uh, here's a different one. Another one going back to Luke. I don't know if you remember this play. Everybody should remember this play. The uh, the Tim Tebow overtime winner to uh, Demarius Thomas against the Pittsburgh Steelers in uh the what was the the wild card round, I believe it was. Yeah. What was the route that Demarius Thomas ran when Tebow connected with him and took it to the house against the Steelers in that magical game? It's funny. I was actually talking about this just this week because I got a couple of uh, two of my players, one of my receivers, and one of my tight ends are both Steelers fans. So I remind them of that game at, of course, every possible opportunity. <laughs> um, I think that that play in particular is one of the most magical things about coaching because that game was an in-game. Uh, that play was an in-game adjustment that they basically drew up on the sideline. I think it may have even been at halftime that I've heard. Um, I can't remember the story, but um, basically, you know, as we all know, the Tebow led offense was very much run heavy, right? I think Tebow Tebow completed like 10 passes in that game, right? It was like he went 10 of 16 for 316 or something like that. Yeah, huge output. It was awesome. Yeah, but um, but like with that, play action passes become so much more effective because they're so rarely utilized, right? You don't throw the ball a lot, you run the ball. And so when you are able to run the ball effectively, you're going to create some windows for that. Um, so if I'm not mistaken, what they did was they motioned Eddie Royal in. So we, we kind of created more guys in the box, right? We're bringing guys down to the party to potentially block for a run. We have a play action. So we're getting the safeties to step up. And then opposite of that, we're getting a deep over route by Demarius Thomas. Okay. He's basically running across the field, just aiming high. He's trying to get into the the space that the safety vacates by stepping down to play the run. Um, Once the safety steps down, there's nobody behind him. Right. So that you could just throw the ball over the top, which is exactly what happened. Um, You'd probably, I'd, I'd probably have to watch the play again to kind of fine tune anything more than that. I think it was just a pretty simple 
um, play action, get the safety to step down and throw the, uh, the kind of the climbing crosser over his head. Yeah, that, that deep over route. I really love the way that you put that. So let's let's break this down just a little bit. He was standing off. I think he was on the line of scrimmage uh, at the top of the top of the field. So mm-hmm. at the top of the screen, really. And he's breaking. It's not a vertical route stem on this one. It's a horizontal route stem. He's more coming at like a 45 degree angle towards the middle of the field. And then once he hits the, like the top side of the numbers or in between like that, that, that seam area between the numbers and the hash marks, he's actually going to flatten that route, uh, uh, flatten the route out and then come horizontally across the middle of the field. And when Tebow, Tebow hit him right in the middle of the field, it was Ryan Clark. No, it wasn't Ryan Clark. Mm-hmm. Ryan Clark can't play. Uh, Monday, Taylor, yeah, Monday. Ryan Monday, and then uh, Ike Taylor was another player in that in that specific play. But where where Tebow hit uh, Demarius Thomas, and it was a, one of the best throws I think he's ever made in his entire life. First off, but he he hit Tebow or he hit DT right square in the middle of the field as he had just flattened his route out to create even more separation because he did have a single high safety uh, with the other safety crashed the run. And the, the, so DT actually flattened out, flattened his route out. And then that was where the big stiff arm happened. And that's where he got to be able to run up that, that, that right-hand sideline that that over route is a very good route to run, especially if you do it effectively, if you flatten out correctly, you can actually create more separation than you would if you just run in that straight 45 degree angle line. Yeah. And, and one thing you'll get just kind of going back to what we were talking about a little bit earlier is you'll see the over route paired a lot of the time with any kind of play action with a post. So basically yep. the post is going to take the safety away, right? He's got to stay on, he's got to stay on top of that, right? He's got to protect the, the end zone. He's got to make sure that he's between any opposing player and the end zone. Um, and then you'll have the under route that as that post goes over the top, just kind of comes back into that vacated space, right? So it's just kind of attacking the space that the that the post has, has taken the top off the defense is kind of the expression you'd use. Um, so I, I, I was going to say, I don't remember the specifics of the player uh, of the play in question. I think it was wing and, and uh, Eddie Royal came down in motion and then they just ran and over. I don't think there was a post to hold the safety. I genuinely think the safety just bit, but I could be totally wrong. But no, I remember that being that, that was an in-game right. adjustment. They drew up on the sideline to run. Yeah, no, you're, you are absolutely correct on that. Demarius Thomas was the deepest receiver on the play. All right. And real quick before we get out of here, we don't because we don't have much time left. Just Kenneth Booker came in. Question for you, Luke. What player made your jaw drop with their physical ability? That's a good question. <sighs> He's going to say Patrick Mahomes. Uh, sure, I'll go with Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> 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 um, well, uh, you know, kind of in this draft class, uh, I was trying to think. I, I didn't really watch anybody from this class, so there's not like a really kind of recent Quite example I can think of. Um, Ruggs jumps to mind because he's fast enough that he's just yeah. in like it's he, – He's insanely fast. Um, yeah, I think Mahomes was one of those guys that, and and Eric knows that I I watched a game of his his freshman year, and I was like, this kid is absurd. Like this kid is going to be special someday. Um, and we were talking about this a little bit before we got on, but how many times have we seen Patrick Mahomes just getting bent in, like just taking a defensive tackle's helmet to the sternum, putting it deep, still managing to complete the ball in this absurd basket, like. He's he's I, athletically he's special. It's absurd. And then, real quick, Terry Randall came in with a two dollar donation. Said Jerry's Judy's best route. How many yards this year? Um, so actually, Pro Football Focus had a list out there of um, all the top like five receivers. I think in their best routes. And I'm trying to remember what his what Judy's was. I can't remember off the top of my head. But he he averaged like. 16 i think yards per catch from there i think or something like that i can't remember exactly what it was um it was a post route i think i don't think it was a post route i I can't remember for sure but yeah it was something from pro football focus so real quick how many yards do you guys think that judy gets this year i'm not gonna answer this question i'm gonna answer that question next week <laughs> All right, must be a hot. Is this when you find who the other is going to come out and like four thousand yards for us? <laughs> I, I mean, realistically, like I don't think it's out of the out of the realm of of expectation for one receiver on the Broncos to go for a thousand yards. Realistically, that's probably going to be a guy like Sutton because he's going to be your most consistent target. He's built that chemistry with Drew Lock. Um, a guy like Jerry Judy, 
I think if he comes in and he has six to seven to 800 yards, that's a great rookie year for him. And he's going to be able to build from that, especially if he's a guy who's a chess piece who gets moved around a little bit to take advantage of some mashup issues with him. All right. I'm going to go with 897 yards, just shy of, shy of that. With eight touchdowns. I'm going to throw touchdowns out there. That, that's my predi- prediction for him. I don't oh, think he quite get that thousand yards yet, but I think maybe 2021. But if there is a season this year, 898. And then there is one more question here from Buona Beast. That's uh, our moderator, John. And he says, do you recruit Luke? If so, what is the hardest part and most fun? Oh man. Uh, there's a lot to get into. Yeah, I do recruit. So, um, Sorry, real quick. I just got to say, is playing Warzone yeah. with you and hearing some of the stories um, when playing with playing with uh, one of your other coaches. Uh, some of them, uh, some interesting stuff. I'm sure some of it's not you don't want to be say out publicly, but uh, some very interesting stuff. Well, and I think the thing that that people don't always necessarily realize is that recruiting involves you talking to a bunch of of high school juniors and seniors, um, some of whom hold a conversation better than others. Um, and like that, you know, you'll, you'll have some phone calls with guys and you'll hang up after 10 minutes of awkward silence. Uh, and yeah, it's good. And, you know, that that's a struggle. Um, but at the same time, I have the opportunity, you know, for recruiting at a high academic school like Kenyon to get to talk to so many amazing guys who are great students, great football players, young guys of high character. Um, at the end of the day, like that's what's amazing is in the recruiting process, you're talking about these amazing opportunities for these young players, about them getting to continue their academic and athletic careers at the next level. What's not to love about that? Alrighty, guys, I think that's pretty much it here. We're going to wrap it up here. We just crossed the the one-hour mark, and we've got to make sure we stick to that one-hour mark. So, guys, thank you all once again for joining the Dove Valley Deep Divers podcast. We're going to get the matters of business here at the end of this. Make sure you guys are following the show at DVDD underscore pod on Twitter. It's the easiest way to find out what we've got going on the show. Typically, our updates come on Friday early in the afternoon. That's when we give Chad our topic for the day, and he tweets it out on the Dove Valley Deep Divers pod. We do throw some takes out there. Not very often, but every now and again, I'll throw one out there for you guys. Um, you guys can follow me at Sanderson MHH for Eric at Eric Trickle and for Coach Luke at Luke Polglaze. Also, guys, if you are in a financial position and able to do so, head on over to huddleuppod.com. Get your merch. This is the merch booth. Get yourself a hat. Get yourself a T-shirt, a coffee cup, face mask. There's hoodies, something for guys, something for girls, pretty much anything that fits your fancy. Go on and get that. And if you guys can't or are not able to do so financially, the three easiest ways that you guys can support the show, help us grow, help us uh, reach that 10,000 subscriber mark on YouTube. First things first, subscribe wherever you guys are watching, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Twitch, anything like that. Subscribe to Mile High Huddle. Like every video you guys see and share everything that you guys love. Get in front of as many Broncos fans as humanly possible. Also, guys, make sure you guys are following at Mile High Huddle. I'm not going to grab the banner on that one, but follow at Mile High Huddle for instant news and analysis, opinion articles, film breakdowns, and stuff like that from all of your favorite Mile High Huddle writers, including myself, Eric, Nick, Carl, uh, Chad, Zach, everybody. Um, that's the easiest way to stay in tune with what is going on with your Denver Broncos. Now, guys, before we get out of here, Eric, Luke, any last words? Yeah, I'm going to say I'm going to throw this out there, too, is since most of what I'm doing anymore is videos, make sure those of you who aren't on the YouTube page, uh, make sure you guys are subscribed to the Mile High, Mile High Huddle YouTube page as well. Um, every article that I do for Mile High Huddle also has a video with it, and each video gets gets promoted up onto youtube so make sure you guys are subscribed there as well i know we broke 7k subscribers there so help keep us boosting up eventually we want to get to that that 10k mark and just keep climbing so i mean just go like it so go subscribe we thank you guys for your support for everything and we hope you guys really enjoyed tonight i mean luke we had a takeaway from his time playing warzone but uh, i'm sure he doesn't mind it so uh, yeah yeah Nah, it's, this is peak recruiting time of the year for me. But um, thank you again, guys. Really appreciate the opportunity to come on and talk a little ball with you all. And thanks to everybody for all the questions of, of asking what it's, you know, what it takes to get into the coaching industry. Um, just to throw it to James Campbell real quick, who I think is across the pond. Um, James, believe it or not, our D-line coach here at Kenyon College is Scottish. He grew up 
uh, in Scotland, played played in college um, at University of Glasgow over there. So there's a thriving American football system in, in the UK as well. Like, believe me, wherever you go, like you will be able to engage with the coaching community. So thank you again for the opportunity and thanks to everybody for some great questions. Yep. Yeah, an amazing football conversation, guys. But that's going to do it for us on the Dove Valley Deep Divers podcast. You guys stay safe and take care and have a great weekend. We'll see you guys next week, 6 p.m.